Well, you heard Joe read the text. Hebrews 11.6. God used it to change my life in a radical way. And um, this is somewhat of a testimony. I'm not going to give you a lot of personal details. The text is far more important. Um, but if you've been a Christian very long, and you, 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 you probably have texts like this. That God met you at a pivotal moment in your life. Uh, a time of decision. And He made it clear to you exactly who He is, exactly who you are, and exactly who He's called you to be. And by the time He's through with you, you <laughs> there are no questions. It's all, it's all very plain and clear. I knew what God had said to me. He did not stutter. He said, come. Matthew 14, 29. We talked a little bit about this last week. Peter getting out of the boat. It's a perfect, shall we say, foundational text for Hebrews 11. The invitation is in Hebrews 11 that you would come. There's an exclamation point in the NAS on that command. Come, Jesus says, to those who would walk with Him. And yes, you'll have to get out of your comfort zone if you're going to walk with the living God. In one sense, I was just like Peter. I wanted to get out of the boat. We talked about this last week, right? Why did Peter get out? He wanted to. So I'm asking you at the outset, do you want to, to get out of the boat? Do you want to get out of the comfort zone with God? Are you ready to push the envelope? Do you want to go deeper and further? Do you want to go to the new place? Now, if, if our Christianity is real and it's vibrant, we're always going to the new place. We're always in transition. <laughs> we don't ever get to sit down in the spiritual recliner, so to speak. We're always in transition. Metaphorically speaking, I simply couldn't get that first leg over the side of the boat. I was very much afraid to go with God. There were 10,000 reasons not to, and even I had many Christians counsel me not to. Um, but you know how it is if you've walked with God very long. Sometimes you just can't listen to anybody else except for God. And if God is speaking to you, you must obey. There's nothing left to do for the true believer. And I was thinking, you know, after the counsel I got from a number of folks, maybe I'm hearing God wrong, you know. Maybe, maybe I could just be a good Christian accountant, well, of course I could. There's nothing wrong with being a good Christian accountant. We need more good Christian accountants. Nothing wrong with that. And I could hear screw tape, if you know the reference, I won't go into detail, whispering in my ear, moderate, moderate your Christianity. Moderate that Christianity. Moderate that desire. Consider a more modest response to Jesus, more restrained, more common sense, more commonplace. Nothing wrong with a little moderation, right? Unless you're a Christian and you're walking with God. Then there is everything wrong with it. So God took me to Hebrews 11.6 and He radically changed my life with this tutorial. I still remember. Karen and I go down there sometimes. Down at the lake. I still remember these days. And I was so afraid, but he wouldn't leave me alone. 
I still remember those great days with God. So he gave me this tutorial. And it was different. You know, Hebrews eleven six. 6. What he taught me about faith, it was different than what I had learned in Sunday school growing up as a little boy in a Baptist church. I was more or less taught, at least this is what I heard, and maybe the fault was in me, that all I had to do was believe right stuff. If I just believe right stuff, I'm good. And if I just do the proper religious formula, then I will be good. That's all faith is. That was my understanding anyway. As we all know, God-given faith, born-again faith, saving faith is not merely believing and saying right things. Real faith, biblical faith, Hebrews 11 faith is living out right things. So we can talk all day long, but if it's not in the life, it's not real. It's not biblical. It's not saving. This is the clear teaching of Scripture we talked about it last week. Yes, those great words from Oswald Chambers. Hebrews 11, we have license to obey God with glad, reckless joy. We've learned in Hebrews 11, if we study it, if we take it on board, if we believe it, if we own it, we will learn God correctly. That is the title of the sermon, Learning God Correctly. And I found out after being a Christian for a good number of years, I hadn't actually learned God correctly down at the lake. He had to explain a few things to me. Now, I don't know. I'm sure if you've been a Christian very long, you, you've had these times with God. And you think, yeah, I, I know what I need to know. And then, bam! <laughs> you know, there's a new revelation coming from the Word of God. John Piper says it well. Bad theology hurts people. And, of course, if you hear me teach very often, I'll say that a lot. Bad theology hurts people. Sooner or later, wrong thinking about God leads to wrong living. Amen? But there's, a, there's an ancillary truth that I learned. Incomplete theology will paralyze you. And if you leave off looking at God on an ongoing basis, you will be paralyzed. You won't be able to go on with God. You'll be stymied. You can't go with God if you're not looking at God. If you're not proactively looking at God. I was petrified in my little comfortable life. You know, the screw tape thing, that, that moderated Christianity. Then God blew me up with Hebrews 11.6. Inadequate thinking about God will calcify you into a very small, safe, comfortable existence. It's one of the hard truths that God taught me in Hebrews 11.6 was that inadequate thinking about God leads to inadequate believing, which leads to inadequate living. It's just take it to the bank. Every one of you probably know exactly what I'm saying if you're a Christian this morning. Inadequate thinking about God leads to inadequate believing, which leads to inadequate living. We must always be looking at the God of the Bible. In our all study this week, we, uh, Paul David Tripp, he brought up uh, Isaiah 40. 
But I love those middle chapters of Isaiah 40 to 45 where God says, I'm God and nobody else is God, right? But that's the God we have to look at if, we, if we're going to presume to live a Christian life. Now, once you stop looking at him, you no longer have the freedom to go. You no longer have the freedom to, to be a Hebrews 11:6 man or woman. You don't have that freedom unless you are proactively and aggressively pursuing and looking at God. You have no desire to do it, and you certainly don't have the, what shall we say, the, the ability to do it if you're not looking at God. We have to look at the God before whom the earth trembles and the mountains melt like wax. Amen? I have to look at that God every day. Or I'll be afraid at every turn. Beloved, this is what we must do. We must look at God or we'll be cowards in the world. I've been one before. I bet you have too. If you're not looking at Yahweh, you'll be a coward in the world. And you'll fold when it gets hard. So I had a pretty safe and comfortable life. It was normal. It was manageable. A lot of common sense stuff going on. You know, and I had never seen anybody, you know, get out of the boat before. I had never seen it. I was 28 years old when I was converted, but this is when I'm around 40, 41, 42. I'd never seen it. I knew a lot of good Christians, but I'd never really seen anybody get out of the boat. I'd never seen anybody turn their back on a common sense life. I'd never seen it. And then there was this guy... And we were talking about going to seminary. He was a CPA and so was I. And I'm thinking, wow. And he beat me by six months. He's probably a better Christian than me. His name is Brad. I saw Brad, who had a great career. He'd probably be running Intergy now if he hadn't gone to seminary. Was it Intergy? Yeah, it was Intergy. Okay. And he left. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I loved this guy. He left. And I knew what God was calling me to do. But moderation seemed more prudent. And yeah, I was afraid. And listen, if you're walking with Christ and you've never been afraid, I think there's, I think, maybe it's just me. But I was really afraid. There were a whole lot of complications to following God. Then he took me to Hebrews 11.6 and he showed me the secret to being a true disciple. How to get to the place where I could obey God out past common sense. The, the essential lesson is learn God correctly. Now, shame on you if you just take what the preacher says. Shame on you. Because there's a lot of crummy preachers in the world. You have to be in the Bible. You have to own it yourself. You have to tremble before God. Psalm 2.11, you must rejoice with trembling. This has to be personal. It can't simply be what you heard. The preachers say, and I found out, man, my thinking about God, it was completely inadequate. It was completely inadequate, particularly in relation to Hebrews 11, 6. I'll read it to you again. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. It's God, of course. 
For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, I'm not sure there's a more important verse I could preach as we end this year and look into a brand new year. Because here's the deal, and you know this, if you get God wrong, everything's wrong. If you get God wrong, everything is wrong. Everything will be wrong. You'll end up in a ditch, and you can't get out of the ditch by yourself. Not in any way that's meaningful in a spiritual sense. Over the years, I've conducted, you know, I, I've told you before, we had probably a thousand people come through Milan, and I had the opportun opportunity to ask this question a lot. What is it that pleases God? Well, <laughs> I very rarely got the, the answer faith. But what does God tell us right here in Hebrews eleven six? What is it that pleases Him? Tell me from the text, what is it that pleases God? Going to church. No. What is it? Faith. Faith pleases God. Is there a more important text to preach? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I guess I say that every Sunday. I could say it every Sunday. But this is God's answer. This is the answer. How do I please God? I believe. And then I live like I believe, right? It's not I believe and then live any old way I want. I believe and then I live like I believe. That's Hebrews 11. It's Hebrews 11. It's really not all that complicated, is it? Hebrews 11.1, 1, we noted last week, God defines faith for us. And I like the King James, the New King James. I like the trans translation there. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. We commented, and I have to comment on this because the error... And the heresy is so pervasive, we do not make the error that the word of faith people and the name and claim it people make. We don't have faith in our faith. We don't have faith in our words. We don't have faith in our prayers. We don't have faith in an ordinance. We don't have faith in church attendance. We don't have faith in moral purity. We have faith in Yahweh. And I have no hope apart from Him. We have faith in Yahweh. It's what God demands. Right here in the faith chapter. Hebrews 11. The true believer can, can be a risk-taking disciple because God is the substance ultimately of things hoped for and God is the evidence of things not seen. It's what's being said. Essentially, ultimately. Again, verse 1, God defines faith. Verse 6. God says that it's impossible to please Him without it. And then the rest of the chapter, as I told you last week, God gives 16 named illustrations so you can't mess this up. And neither can I, right? I can't dumb this down for you. And you can't dumb it down for yourself. This is what faith... Saving faith, biblical faith, God-pleasing faith. This is what faith looks like. It's Hebrews 11. And just a word on what it means to believe that God is. I love R.C. Sproul's. I love R.C. Sproul's quote on this. 
Christianity is not believing in God. Now, there's a whole lot of churchgoers who think, I believe in God, I'm good. I can't tell you how many times I heard this in Milan. Sproul says, Christianity is not believing in God. I bet you could finish it. It's believing God. It's not just believing in God. Really, really stupid, wicked people believe in God. Any thinking person believes in an adequate first cause. It's not that. It's believing God and living like you believe God. That's Christianity. That is biblical Christianity. The scripture is saying we must believe in the God who is, of course, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the biblical God, the I am Redeemer God, Jesus Christ. You know, there's so much, and I always had this issue in Milano, there's so much generic talk about God. You know, out in the world, you just, there's just all this generic talk about God. And I'm challenging you, and I've probably challenged you already. Don't you dare talk generically about God. You've got to name Christ in the world. That's when the pressure comes. You've got to name him. You've got to name him out there. Don't let your friends and family and colleagues get away with generic talk. We have to name the reigning and ruling God. His name is Jesus. So counterfeit, make-believe, wannabe gods are a dime a dozen, the false god of Islam, the million of false gods of Hinduism, uh, false god of Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonism and all the other isms, and the false Jesus Christ of the pseudo-church. They're everywhere. These false gods. You go out in the world, Christian, and you name him. You name him. The God of the Bible. Jesus Christ. So real faith believes that the biblical God is, and God's not really interested in a faith that believes in some kind of generic Christ. Again, the biblical God and I will say this, I have no doubt that God loathes much of what goes on in what is called Christianity today. Again, we're talking Eastern Orthodox, Catholic, and candy, cotton candy Protestantism. I have no doubt that God loathes it. Christianity is all about a life-altering faith. And a consuming fire, God. And we have been radically altered by that glimpse of Him. And the world simply doesn't hold our affections anymore. Not in any, not any deep, profound way, right? The world does not hold our affections any longer. We've seen Him. And just like Peter in that boat, I want to be with Him. I want to be with Him. So God is pleased with faith that believes that He is. But isn't that a pretty low bar? Again, I've already said it's a pretty low bar. 
most knuckleheads believe that God is. That it's a low bar. Obviously, God requires that it's in the Word. But man, he's about to blow us up here. You know, if, if you're just leaning on the fact that I, I believe God is and I'm good, if, you're, if that's what you're leaning on, he's about to blow up your world. He is about to blow up your world. So obviously God delights in his creatures acknowledging his I amness. But what he requires from all of his children is to live out his I amness. I got another Brad Baden story. He was about to go to seminary. We were playing golf. I'm sure he doesn't remember this. And we both teed off. Of course, I outdrove him. And uh, actually, I'm sure I didn't. I'm sure I was in the weeds. Uh, we're, walking down, we're walking down the fairway, and, you know, he was, he was six months ahead of me. And I said, Brad, we, I mean, what about all this risk? He says, God says I am. I never forgot that. You know, it's like Moses whining about having to go to Egypt to lead his people out of slavery. And God just kept saying, I am. And I loved it. I never forgot that. <laughs> Man, you got to get to that place in your life where, you know, you need to hear God say that to you. <laughs> I am. I'm God. I saved you. Follow me. Right? I'm God. I saved you. Follow me. We're supposed to live like people can, so in, in such a way that people can read God off of our lives. Yeah, Abraham and Sarah, they were too old. They were too barren. Oh, but there's Isaac. Moses had, had, just had a stick in his hand. Oh, guess what? The Exodus... Of course you don't have what it takes to be a Hebrews 11 uh, man or woman, but God has everything it takes. And he'll be faithfully with you on every step of the way. You can, yeah, you can be radical if you want to be. You can be if you want to be. So I'll just ask you, are you, living, are you living in such a way that people not only that know that you believe in God, but that you believe God? And it's coming off your life. That you believe God. Does your spouse and children, are they reading the greatness of Christ off your life? Are your friends and neighbors reading the reality of God off your life? Are your colleagues reading the sufficiency of Christ off your life? This is what God is saying. Real faith is read off my children's lives. This is what he's saying. As we make our way through the chapter, do your friends and family see that not only is God the most important reality to you, but that you desire him above all else? Now, this is bottom line. Christianity. It's not just wordplay on Sunday. It's not just, you know, a little church going and a few good deeds and throw, some, throw a few bucks in the plate. It's, 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 all of those things, all of those things uh, will happen. But the bottom line of Christianity is I delight in this God. I love this God. I'll follow this God anywhere. 
I'll do anything he asks. This is Hebrews 11. This is the kind of faith that pleases God. You know, if it were only about being a good Baptist, I'd still be a CPA. But I, I, I caught that glimpse of God, you know, like the psalmists did, you know, and you start to thirst for God, you start to desire God, you start to long for God, you start to pant for God. Psalm 42, 63, 73, and 143. This is what believing God is looks like all over the pages of Scripture. Men and women who were in pursuit of Him and who were hopelessly in love with Him. It can never be, and I say this all the time, but you know, this is how I grew up. It can't be ought and should. Yes, you ought and you should, but it can't be just that. It has to be desire. Peter wanted to get out of the boat. Do you want to? Do you want to? In Christ, we have discovered the all-satisfying why. Why, Jim Albright? Yeah, Jesus. Jesus. We need, the, the born-again soul needs to walk with Christ. It's not simply, oh, it would be nice. Maybe I'd be a better person. No doubt you'd be a better person. But it's about need. And we talked about it last week, you know, impossible is no thing to Christ. Well, that looks impossible. That's no thing to Jesus. It's no thing to him. So I, I hadn't believed God. You know, God is in, in this Hebrews 11 kind of way. That he is and that he, again, that second component in, in verse 6, he's what? What is he? Tell me. I want, you, I, want you to, I want to make sure you get this. God says I am and then he says what? I reward my people. Now, we talked about it last week. You can tell if somebody believes that or not, the professed Christian. You can tell if they believe if God is a rewarder or not. You can tell. Because these are radically different lies. Oh, I simply believe God is. Okay, that's one kind of life. I believe He's good. That's a whole other kind of life. These are the things that will be talked about. On the last day, right? Yeah, you said you believe me, but you never, you never inconvenienced yourself one moment. What kind of belief is that? You never really believed I'm a rewarding God. You never really believed I was good or your life would have been radically different. Beloved, this is what I fear for many, many professed Christians. God says, Hebrews 11, this is faith. This is saving faith. This is regenerate man or woman. This is what pleases God. Real faith believes that God is, and real faith believes that God is a rewarding, rewarding God. And I just like to say, I summarize it in saying that God is good. You can tell that many professed Christians don't really believe it. 
It's a nowhere to be seen, you know, and, and, and I've been guilty, you know. You know how it is when God's taking you to a new place and you got this debate going on, right? You got this debate going on. Shame on me, you know. <laughs> you got this debate going on, and really all God is looking for is a little obedience, <laughs> you know. He's not interested in debating you. <laughs> Who do you think you are? He's just interested in whether you will believe that he is and that he is good. If you truly believe that this omnipotent, you know, two trillion galaxy God is and you believe he's promised to reward you, why wouldn't you obey him back to Oswald Chambers with glad, reckless joy? Why wouldn't you? You know, we, we say a lot of things, but it all plays out in the life, right? What you really believe plays out in the life. Every day, every Monday, it plays out. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, it plays out in the life. What you really believe. Not just what you say you believe, but what you really believe. God is not a concept or a notion or a theory. He's a person you know and trust or you don't know and you don't trust. You know that famous text, Luke 6, 46. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I say? <laughs> right? One way we could answer the Lord's question here would be to say that while some believe there may be some religious value in calling Jesus Lord, they're not wholly convinced that God is God enough to keep His promise, that God can really bring any meaningful or valuable reward into my life. Crassly stated... We could say that the merely religious person who calls Jesus Lord but never truly seeks to follow Him or obey Him does not believe that there's any meaningful gain, any meaningful pleasure, or any meaningful happiness in Christ. You know, maybe, maybe I, in case there is a hell, I, I at least want to give lip service because maybe I, I won't have to go there. Or we could put it another way. They believe there is more gain, more pleasure, more happiness in disobedience than in obedience. You know, give me my $3 worth of God on Sunday, but don't blow up my life, preacher man, Monday through Saturday. The meaning, of course, in all this is that the nominal Christian doesn't believe that God is a rewarder in any meaningful way. The shiny things of earth have captured my attention. So, do you see how important the second component of faith really is? The true believer not only believes that God is, he believes he's an omnipotently gracious, rewarding God. And why would you not follow him? Amen? If you believe that about him. Again, bad theology hurts people. If you stop with the first component in Hebrews eleven six, 6, you don't even have half the picture. Of course he is, thinking people know this. But you know he's good. And so when the hard call to obedience comes, I'm in. I'm in. I can do it. 
You know, to believe that your earthly pursuits will give you more gain, more pleasure, more happiness than the pursuit of God is, I guess it's just an insult. That's the best way to say it. It's an insult to your creator. If you believe like that, if you believe there's more gain and pleasure and happiness in the things of the world than you believe there are in God, you have failed the biblical test of faith. Your faith is not saving Biblical faith not only believes that God is, biblical faith believes God is better than anything this world has to offer. And I love Piper's thing. We clearly see that Jesus is better than anything this life can give. And Jesus is better than anything death can take. And that's the aroma of our lives. We are all in with this beautiful God. It's what real faith believes and consequently lives. These men and women of Hebrews 11, I hope you, I hope you spend some time reading through it, going back into the Old Testament, reading some of their stories. They weren't perfect. But they believed God with their lives and then they finished, right? They finished with God. Yeah, some of them sinned in, grievous, in a grievous way. But man, they repented and they believed with their lives and they finished. You know, Charles Spurgeon said, the true believer is spoiled for this world. Yes, we are. There is nothing in this world that compares with the value and beauty of Jesus Christ. The whole world and everything in it is no longer enough because, you know, that, that thing in Psalm 119, He has enlarged my heart and He's the only one that can fill it up. The whole world, you can pour the whole world in Jim Albright's heart. It wouldn't move the needle. I have to have God. We all have to have Him. So true faith believes, Genesis 15, 1, God told Abraham, New King James Version translation, I am your reward. There it is. What if there's nothing else? What if it's only God? What, what if, you know, what if, uh, what if there's not a new heaven and a new earth? What if we're not going to rule and reign? It's okay. <laughs> you know, that's just icing on the cake. We get God. We get to look at God. We get to love God, right? <laughs> we get, to, we, we get to, to seek to apprehend an infinite being, which will take forever. There'll always be more in the romance. You know, some people don't like it when I use the word romance with respect to conversion, but I like the word, and uh, I think it's valuable. True faith believes Luke 12, 32. We don't have to be afraid because our Father has chosen gladly to give us the kingdom of God. Now, I, what I'm doing is I'm showing you your reward here. God and the kingdom of God. Are you interested or not? 
And of course, true faith believes Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Right? We believe this. Man, uh, whatever. You're calling me to X, Y, Z? Of course. God's my reward. The kingdom's my reward. And everything else that's good is my reward. And my God's a competent God. He's a promise keeper. He can deliver on His promise. Shame on us if we think true faith is dogma. It's the faithfulness of God. The true believer knows God is a rewarder and God is our reward. So real faith is not merely an issue of God's being. It also involves the essential issue of God's beneficence, God's goodness. It's not just about the fact that He is. And don't ever let any of your friends and neighbors or colleagues, family members get away with that. It's not just about the fact that He is, it's also about the fact of who He is. And what He has promised. Real faith not only believes that God is, it believes that He is good. And there's never any real loss in living your faith huge. Right? There's never any. It's only gain. It's always gain. Live it. Let it spill out of your life. It's just gain. So, do you have real, born-again, saving, biblical faith? Do you have the kind of faith that pleases God? Do you believe that God is a rewarder? Do you believe His reward is better than anything this world can offer? Do you really believe going after Jesus with radical abandon is pure reward? And are you zealous in this pursuit? You guys probably know Ezra 7.23 Whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it be done with what? Who knows? Zeal. <laughs> Zeal. Don't you love that word? I looked it up. I think it's about 38 times in the Bible. I think 11 times it's applied to God. Maybe 13, 14 times it's applied to men. He's a zealous God. He's called his, his children to be zealous. Right? I, Karen and I were having lunch yesterday. I love my, my wife. She's a, she's a wonderful little theologian. And uh, she, we were getting ready to Zoom with the, with the Europeans. And, and she said something like, you know, Piper was talking a whole lot about zeal in the chapter we're in. And she said, she said, she said you know, zeal does stuff. Yes, it does. <laughs> it does stuff. It's Hebrews 11. Zeal does stuff. She's brilliant. She teaches me so many things. <laughs> the way she comes at things. I love it. Does your life reflect the fact that God is and that God is good? Is the Christian faith you say you have the kind of Christian faith God is talking about here in Hebrews 11? Is it the faith that lives in such a way that everybody can smell God on you? 
So, that's how God used Hebrews 11.6 to change my life. You know, I believe that He was. I had never genuinely dealt with the fact that had I really believed He's a rewarder, had I ever really believed it, I had never truly believed it in any meaningful way, in any way that set me completely free to be His disciple, whatever it looks like. Whatever it looks like. So in my unbelief and dithering, God graciously taught me. Hebrews 11.6. It was a significant breakthrough in my life. It's why I've been a preacher for 20 years or so now. Um, yeah. If it were just about believing God is, I'd still be an accountant. And a very unpleasant and unhappy one, I'm sure. I'd never truly explored until that night at the lake. I'd never truly explored or understood or believed that my God is a rewarder. You know, in the I'm willing to risk everything I have and I, I, I am on the rewarding goodness of God. You know, we're not all called to be preachers, but we are all called to walk the Hebrews 11 life. Whatever that looks like for you. Whatever it looks like for you. So I'd never gone there in my heart, my mind, before that moment. <laughs> and he still had to work on me a lot. I was seeing it. Yeah, okay. I hear what you're saying, Lord. <laughs> he still had to work on me a lot. Of course, I could always pick up the phone and call Brad. Because he was six months out in front of me. Said, Brad, how's it going up there? What do you think? Maybe I should bail. <laughs> He'd say, I am. God's I am. You know, you're just free. We're just free to do whatever God lays on our heart. We're just free to do it. And back to the analogy of Peter and the boat and the water. You know, when God calls you to something new, something that's not on your resume, of course there's going to be uncertainty, but Jesus is God and Jesus is a rewarder. Of course it's going to be uncomfortable at times, but Jesus is God and Jesus is a rewarder. Of course there will be unknowable and unforeseeable complications, but Jesus is God and Jesus is a rewarder. Beloved, Jesus is, and Jesus is good, and I invite you to live that out for the balance of your days with glad, reckless joy. And you can, because God's promise to Abraham is God's promise to any true believer. Genesis 15, 1, do not be afraid. I am your shield. I am your exceeding great reward. And let me close with Hebrews 10 verses 38 and 39. God says, But my righteous ones shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Then the writer of Hebrews says, But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Amen.
You must believe that God is. And then you must believe that God is good. And then you must open your hands with him and obey him. Until the day you step in front of him. And you hear those words. Well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Let's pray together.